0: Hello and welcome to Brass Bands on the Record. My name's Mark Good, and this podcast series sees Lily McCluskey and I chatting to some of the most well-known faces from the world of brass music making. On the weekend bands and audiences are descending on Birmingham for the 2023 British Open Championship, celebrations are in order for a prominent Scottish figure in the banding scene. John Bokes will be honoured with the Mortimer Medal by the Worshipful Company of Musicians for his work in fostering new generations of brass band players. John's career in brass music education has taken him far and wide, enjoying contesting success with some of Scotland's finest bands and working alongside the likes of Major Peter Parks and Nigel Bodis MBE. But it's perhaps at grassroots level that John has enjoyed the greatest satisfaction, nurturing generations of young performers, many of whom have gone on to enjoy glittering banding careers all over the world. He's enjoyed several decades of involvement with the National Youth Brass Band of Scotland, which remains very dear to his heart, and these days is known as an administrator in the Scottish banding scene in his role as Education Officer with the Scottish Brass Band Association. It all makes for a remarkable career in banding, but John says News of the Medal came as a bit of a surprise.
1: I was absolutely um, gobsmacked to be honest it was it came out of the blue um a phone call from a gentleman who told me who he was uh, and then said I'd been awarded the medal and I, I, I said really me after the sort of the surprise sank in uh, it was really quite an honor. Um, and the other thing that was difficult about it was I had to stay quiet for four months and not tell anybody I did manage to tell Carrie but um funny story about it because when it was put on the media, Charlie saw it, my daughter Charlie, who's 16, and she phoned me up and said, Dad, Dad, and I wondered what was wrong. She said, you've won a medal. So, of course, I had to tell her that I knew about it, but um, over the moon.
0: The list of previous recipients, as you'll know, is very illustrious. Bram Tovey, Stephen Mead, Nigel Bodis, Michael Robertson, Samantha Harrison and Chris Jeans are among the names on there. You must feel in good company.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I think Nigel maybe was the first recipient. Uh, Yes. I think I I saw that. So that makes me really, really honoured and uh, to be in that company is amazing. It's
0: a wonderful achievement for you, John, and we do wish you many congratulations on receiving the Mortimer Medal. Let's do a little bit of an origin story now and turn the clock back and take a look at your early musical life. Set the scene for me. How did it all begin for you?
1: It began in secondary school um, when a young man, I was 12, maybe 12 and a half. This young man came to the school uh, and offered brass tuition. Um, and this this was a very young uh, gentleman called Andrew Kichi And I happened to have in a cupboard somewhere, my, my father had a trumpet uh, a clarinet and a saxophone from his uh, brother who had died maybe a couple of years previous. He was a jazz musician. And so when the young man came to the class, I, he said, I'm looking for a brass players." I went, I've got a trumpet. And it was actually falling apart. But that was the start of, of my journey. Uh, and quite quickly, Drew realised that the trumpet wasn't going to last out. So I was given a nice shiny cornet um, and then never looked back, to be honest.
0: You mentioned Drew Keechee there and you were one of the original members, I think, of Kamarnock Concert Brass, a band still very much in existence, of course. The band enjoyed incredible success and it flew through the sections. What was it like to be a part of the organization at that time?
1: It was an amazing thing to be part of because it was it was um, it was a group full of boys and girls which was quite something and then. That was probably uh, 1970. That's quite, going back quite a bit, 1970. In fact, I think we played in our first Scottish in 1973. Um, but this group of young people who absolutely um, idolized our conductor and who who thought he was God in many ways, you know, what, what he asked us to do, we, we did. Um, and we, we felt really special. Uh, and it was great being part of it. and you know everything that we we sort of took part in was a new experience, but one where um, we felt that we shone, you know and, and this young group it kind of we, we felt it kind of shook up the establishment who at that time were a bit old and you know sort of set in setting their ways. but that was the start of the re- revolution of instrumental tuition in schools. Uh, and this was the this was the the fruits of that starting to come through.
0: When I've heard any recordings from the band from it must be round about that era, it sounds incredible. It sounds like those players are not phased by anything. Does that go back to what you were saying about walking through walls for your conductor almost?
1: We had no fear. Uh, in fact, it was it was exactly like that. Um, we, we had many fine results at the Asia Music Festival. We we went to London. I, th- I think it was, um, uh, the sort of there was a hall somewhere in London and we played an adjudicator. And now when I think back on it, it's an amazing our adjudicator was um, Eric Ball. And he listened to this young band playing, but we, we weren't phased at all. Yeah, it was amazing to be in.
0: John, education has been at the heart of your musical career. Did you find early on that you had a natural affinity for teaching and coaching players?
1: Teaching came about by accident, to be honest, um, because although I played in the school band and we rehearsed first thing in the morning, interval lunchtime after school, almost every day of the the school week, um, I wanted to be a mechanic wanted to work with cars. And that's where my first um, move was after I left school, although I was still quite very much a member of command Youth Band at the time. Um, things didn't work out there because we were through tough times. The the mechanic thing went three days a week. I said to Mr. Keechee, I said, I'm going to go to join the police. And he thought, wait a minute, that means we might not have you for weeks on end. And it just so happened at that, that time, um, there was a job uh, as a brass teacher. This is probably 78, 1978. You didn't have to have degrees and all, all the sort of things you need nowadays to be a teacher. Uh, and it was very much if you can play, you can teach. And um, I kind of I fell into the role, but quite quickly realised that it was something I always wanted to do.
0: At what point? Did you start to become more involved in the world of conducting? Was that a natural step after the the teaching career took hold?
1: I think following Drew, uh, I mean I I would have to say as a teacher he was, uh, his methods were um, something that I admired. Um, You know this, this discipline of having rehearsals at school is something that I um, very much sort of uh, did at my school Carrick Academy was, was my first school so we had we had rehearsals morning interval and lunchtime and this my band at uh, Carrick became very much a mirror of what the old communal youth band was in those days um so I was conducting from an early age then as well as playing with communal band but the transition came in 1985 when all of my players from Carrick uh, had been asked to go and join a band called Danaskin Dune, which was a band quite close to Carrick. And um, they, had, they had lost their conductor in 1985. And I was asked to go and conduct the band. And that was the first time I'd conducted a senior brass band. And again, I liked it. Uh, I wanted to do it more. But having said that, all of my young players were there. So it was easy to work with this band.
0: Just touching on Carrick, first of all, you've already mentioned it. Tell me about that band and and how it's developed, because you enjoyed quite a bit of success there, didn't you?
1: Yes, the the Carrick band, as I say, built on those um, sort of um, the ethos of what I'd learned as a youngster. Um, the band grew from strength to strength. We took part in many competitions. Um, in fact, we we won, I think, a couple of Scottish. Uh, Youth contest. We um, we went to London to to compete uh, against other youth bands, but the pinnacle really was in nineteen ninety one when the band won the Scottish and then won the European. I think we were the second Scottish band to win the European, um, and that happened in Falkirk in nineteen ninety one. That was a brilliant um, time
0: for the band. And then you mentioned, of course, the and Dune and. You've gone on to work with bands all over the country, from high-flying championship section bands to youth and lower section bands, and enjoyed lots of success along the way. There's been Donask and Doon, Dalmellington, Whitburn, Kirke, Broxburn and Livingston, Irvine and Dreghorn, and that's probably only me scratching the surface. Some of those associations saw you working as a, a resident conductor, perhaps in partnership with another MD. Were there any conductors with whom you particularly enjoyed working?
1: Absolutely. Um, I also did a, a little stint at New Mills and Galston. Um At Dinaskin, I was completely the the musical director. There yeah. was no professional, so that that was that was great. Um, but when I also conducted other bands like New Mills and Goldston, uh, Nigel Bodis was the the bandmaster there, and it was great to work with Nigel. I had a lot of respect for Nigel. We had worked together at the National Youth Brass Band. Um, But the pinnacle for me was working with Whitburn. And Whitburn at that time had um, Major Peter Parks as their professional. And I have to say that I was always a a critic of, you know, we've got so many good Scottish conductors. Why did we bring somebody from down south? But when you actually saw Peter Parks working, uh, it was worth 10 points straight away because the band just sat up. And he had this... He had this aura, you know, when he stood in front of a band, you just believed everything he said, he wanted to play for him, And uh, that was a special time for me to work with him. Absolutely loved that.
0: It's amazing chatting to players who who played regularly under Major Peter Parks. He came to the National Youth Brass Band of Scotland, didn't he, in later life? And I remember him coming to visit there in St Andrews, but especially, I think, the players north of the border, certainly, who played under him at Whitburn, Mm -hmm still at Wax Lyrical and remember very fondly those days under Major Parks.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. He he was he was their um, special ingredient. Major Peter Parks and the band just clicked from day one. It's a strange thing because, you know, those that don't know uh, Major Peter Parks, he wasn't a brass player at all. Uh, I think he was a woodwind player. <laughs> so, um, and I think he'd started with... Black Dyke, one of the most famous bands in the world. And again, that was a partnership that that really worked, but he was something special to work for.
0: This is maybe a bit unfair, John, but what gives you greater satisfaction? Winning a contest with a high-flying adult band or guiding and nurturing young players to success and seeing them develop?
1: I think in the early days uh, with Danaskin, what gave me great pleasure was taking a piece from uh, nothing Working with it and then standing on stage and having that final uh, sort of product, call it product, but that final uh, performance, I used to get so much pleasure from that. And again, that's always been 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 the way. But I think as I get older, uh, I think I prefer to work with young players now. Um, I find the the sort of uh, older bands they maybe demand too much sometimes. And um, I'm, I don't know if I'm really up for that now, whereas working with a young person is is just something special. And again, uh, the National Youth Brass Band, as I said earlier on, working with Nigel, that gave me that um, sort of uh, buzz.
0: Your former pupils can be found far and wide. Shona White, the celebrated tenor horn soloist, is, is just one of many. How proud are you when you see people like Shona go on to such success?
1: I think the medal... in in many ways is down to them, not just the the ones who went on, but all of them. Um, Because I wouldn't get a medal for doing what I do unless I had young people who wanted to work with me. Uh, Shona was quite exceptional because as a young young lady, in fact, I I think I met her in primary five. Her sister was already a player. And this little girl played, I think she played a flugelhorn. And um, she then moved on to a tenor horn. To say she's exceptional is an understatement. I've never met a player who just wanted to practice all the time and she had no nerves. Absolutely, she would stand on stage and she would play um, and to be honest, it's no surprise that she's achieved what she's achieved. But there have been many more players as well. I've got players who are still playing in brass bands, players who are playing in New Zealand, um, players who have played in the top bands in, in down south and also in, in, in Scotland as well.
0: And I know an organisation that's very dear to your heart and remains so is, of course, the National Youth Brass Band of Scotland. And countless players, including me, have learned from you at those summer courses, and I'm sure we'll look back on them very fondly. But how did you become involved in NIBS on the staff side? And did you see yourself then being a part of the NIBS family for quite so long?
1: No, I didn't. 1985 was the start of that um, that journey. And uh, myself and Gordon Evans uh, and another chap called um, Jack Malpass, we were asked to work with the training band at the time. So there was a training band and there was a reserve band. The senior band was totally separate at the time. So the three of us worked, worked together um, and it was amazing to work with these young people, but also to work with some of the um, characters in the Scottish brass band scene, that was that was such a a great thing to be involved in, you know. And people don't realise that once you become involved in NIBS, it's something that's very difficult to get out of your blood, you know. And uh, I found that, and I was I was really pleased to be offered to move up to the reserve band, and be the corner tutor there under Nigel, and I learned a lot from Nigel. Um, and then I moved when I think Russell Gray was still a young player uh, to tutor the senior band Cornets. I'm now the musical director of the Reserve Band and uh, it feels like, you know, I just started yesterday. It's, it's, it's great.
0: An organisation like NIBS naturally evolves, of course, and you have worked with different course directors, conductors and, and so many young people. The residential courses themselves have moved around the country and there have been the tours as well. What are some of the highlights that come to mind for you when you think of the NIBS experience?
1: Another name that really is top of my list as far as um, influences is a a gentleman called Jeffrey Brand. And and he was absolutely amazing. He actually worked with Kilmarnock Band uh, when we were quite young because Drew Keachie used to bring him up. And I always remember this sticks in my mind. We did a piece. Um, he would always work with the band before that, the Scottish, and we did a piece called Variations on a Theme by Haydn. Anyway, he he always would impress us with what he would say. But this day impressed me so much because he said, "I knew a man who knew Brahms," and I went, "Wow!" <laughs> it was just it was it was just amazing to hear him say that. But he was a, he was a big influence. Um, Richard Evans, an amazing amazing man, and he and I formed a really, really strong friendship, and um, he's a sad loss to to Nibs for sure, but he was definitely one of the people who probably saved Nibs, um, and he helped for Nibs to sort of still be as strong as it is today. So, but talking about young people in Nibs, you know, there are many young people like yourself who came through who enjoyed that experience. We had a, a lady come and do a A sort of video diary of Nibs one year and one of the young people in the band said, Nibs Nibs saved my life. Now I don't know what he meant by that. It maybe meant that he he was maybe on the verge of not being a player and then he came to Nibs and it just confirmed that that's what he wanted to do and he's now now playing as a top bass player all over the country.
0: It's wonderful to hear and of course it can play such a part in Broadening someone's horizons, whether they're going on to pursue studies in music or something completely different, but you end up fostering these networks that I think you carry with you for life, don't you?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, one of the things I do now in my job as um, education officer for the Scottish Bass Band Association, each year I organise for three young players who have come through the NIBS setup and who are over 18 to be involved in the European Brass Band, um, or the European Youth Brass Band, wherever that con- whatever it's going to be. This year it was in Malmo, and we had three young gentlemen, um, and they were a credit to themselves, their bands, and also to the National Youth Brass Band. We had um, Gregor Kuzil playing soprano. We had Mark Gammon playing bass trombone, and Callum Blair. Um, and the three young men absolutely enjoyed it. And over the years we've sent you know we've sent many players uh and they all absolutely enjoy this uh, experience of playing with the european youth brass band
0: you've already touched upon your involvement with the scottish brass band association where you serve as education officer and it's very much a family affair as we know your wife carrie is the president of the organization when you were starting out as a youngster and then embarking on your professional career as an instructor, perhaps heading to band contests for the first time. Did you ever envisage yourself getting involved behind the scenes as you've done with Saba?
1: Absolutely not. I never gave Saba a second thought as a player. <laughs> um, maybe if I was involved in committees, uh, I might have. But it's an it's an eye-opener to be involved with Saba um, because it's run by volunteers. And many people don't appreciate how important it is to have Saba because without Saba, we couldn't have contests, you know, we wouldn't have adjudicators coming, we wouldn't have venues.
0: Um,
1: but they work so hard uh, and they do it for the love of the association. So I've really enjoyed it. My my role is education officer, so I work very much with youth development where we've started up uh, quite a few new startup youth bands. Um, I try to keep a, a, abreast of all that's going on as far as youth concerned. We've had um, Various uh, projects with with youth involved. Trinity, we, we do Trinity Awards. Uh, ABRSM have been involved with us, and um, we even had our own podcast last year. So w- there are lots of uh, lots of things have grown, and um, certainly from my involvement with Saba.
0: What would you say, John, is the health of the youth banding scene in Scotland at the moment, and how would you like to see it continuing to move forward in the months and years ahead?
1: It's a it's an interesting one that because we had we had many youth bands at one point in time, and then we had uh, the dreaded charges because many many young people received instrumental tuition free of charge in school, which, in my opinion, it should be. You know, it's it's one of those things, but unfortunately, um, instrumental instruction is not is not a core subject, so it's very much something that um, needs to be funded. Touchwood, we've always managed to be there and survive. There've been many talks about um, instrumental services being scrapped, but we've managed probably through parent power as well to keep that going. So, I think I think it's definitely on the increase. Uh, the pandemic didn't help, but um, but once the charges have gone, we now see uh, the, the shoots starting to come again and more and more players. And the youth bands are beginning to grow too. You know, um, I think last year we had an increased amount of youth bands playing at our uh, Scottish Festival of Brass Youth Contest, and that seems to be increasing every year. So I'm hopeful that, that we are on that upward trajectory.
0: The family element to your banding life goes beyond Saba, John, because whether it's you and Carrie at Saba, the family's involvement at Irvine and Greghorn Brass, or the continued success of your daughter, Charlie, she's already enjoyed a host of solo successes and she's now principal baritone player at the Whitburn Band. How proud are you when you look at Charlie's progress so far?
1: Unbelievably proud. Uh, She started off as a very small young lady probably five or six she played an urban youth band at the, the the youth championships and she played shaky eggs and these little eggs the percussion she moved from there to a plastic trombone and um, I remember Irvin and Dreghorn were going to do a march and Carrie my wife uh, as well as been a drummer she played baritone at school so she was going to hold a baritone and try and march with it and I remember Charlie picking this baritone up maybe about seven or eight and thinking, well, oh, I like this. So that started her on her baritone um, movement. I think she's a natural. That's really, that's all I can say, because I don't know where she came from. You know, it's, it's not, I'm not going to say it's a chip off the old block. <laughs> it's just, she produces this so naturally. It's, it's one of those, you know, you, you listen to kids and you think, wow, you know, she doesn't have to work too hard. And this year has been an absolutely special year because... She's played in the Royal Albert Hall um, with, with Whitburn. She's she's about to play in Symphony Hall in Birmingham when I'll receive my medal. So that'll be a proud moment for both of us. Uh, she was in Malmo this, this year, uh, playing with Whitburn at the European uh, Championships. She's also won the Rotary Young Musician uh, Contest of Great Britain. So she went through several heats and then won the, the, the sort of Great Britain one. So very proud.
0: Well, she's clearly going places. It's very exciting times for Charlie and her um, flourishing musical career. And just as we approach the end then of our conversation today, John, How do you see the banding landscape in Scotland generally at the moment? We've spoken from a youth perspective, but we know, of course, uh, there's a great uh, and healthy adult banding scene across the country and a non-competitive scene too. How do you see it and how do you see it continuing, hopefully, to evolve over the coming months? I think
1: it's beginning to to sort of start to grow again, There's, there's no doubts about that. What I do know is that within our bands in Scotland, we have some absolutely um, dedicated people who are running our bands. And you know, that's that's what keeps it going. There, there are people who they don't get a lot of um, uh, kudos or recognition, but they work so hard behind the scenes. And I think we're determined to keep our organisation there. But I, I think we're coming back, definitely.
0: That's it for this episode of Brass Bands on the Record. Thanks to John Bokes, and congratulations to fellow medal recipient at the 2023 British Open Championship, Gavin Higgins. He's receiving the Isles Medal for his significant contribution to banding, which is thoroughly deserved. Stay tuned for more to come on Brass Bands on the Record. You can find us where you listen to all your usual podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch, please do send us a message on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Thanks very much for listening and bye for now.